to minute 155 of the Great Escape Minute, the daily podcast where we dig into the Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and once again, joining me to finish off this week is Howard Kasner, blogger, screenwriter, and script consultant, and the host of the Pop Art Podcast. Welcome back, Howard. Uh, glad to be here. Yeah, I've been having a lot of fun all week talking with you about uh, The Great Escape, and we'll see what else we can discuss today as we try to finish off this week. So, Minute 155 begins with the waiter delivering the order to the German officers and ends with the waiter checking if the coast is clear. As we were discussing yesterday, Sedgwick is located in a little French cafe in the, the German city of uh, Fusen. <laughs> And, <laughs> right off the Spanish border, of course. Exactly. And he's uh, suspiciously looking at, at the fact that there are three German officers sitting at the table near him waiting for their order. And the waiter hears the phone ring, answers the phone, says, oui, and then uh, puts the phone down and walks over to give these German officers their order. Uh, the three uh, porno, ponos, what was they called? Pernod. 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 Not sure. Pernod. Exactly. Three drinks, three drinks. Apparently, these these officers show up here quite often to get their drinks in, in the mid-morning, early afternoon, early morning. Who knows what time of day this actually is? There there are no clocks, for obvious reasons, because as, as I'm sure you know as a screenwriter, you can probably explain to us better why it's best not to have clocks <laughs> in most places. Well, it's for editing purposes. I mean, the clock keeps exactly. their hands. Uh, no matter what. And sometimes you will see movies where people will point, point out clocks that don't quite match. Right. So probably the best thing is when you're filming a, a, a scene with a clock, you just take the battery out and then it just doesn't move. And as, as long as it's not a very long scene, you're probably in a better in better shape from that perspective. The waiter, who I, I was trying to find out who uh, who played this waiter, and he's completely uncredited. I wasn't able to figure it out. You mentioned yesterday... How, how you really enjoyed his uh, performance here. So, unfortunately, like we were discussing the, the German soldier earlier this week, this might have been the highlight of his career. <laughs> you never you know. You never know. Uh, or he might have... If anyone knows who that is, let us know. Uh, but it's not even on IMDb? Nope, nope. IMDb has very few uncredited actors in this movie, if at all. It has one. They have a British officer, Charlie, was played by Arthur Atkinson. That's the only uncredited role mentioned here, which basically means that nobody really cared enough to try to find out who these car- who these uh, yeah. big parts are in this movie. The waiter then hands over the, the drinks to the, to the officers. Uh, the officers are having their nice conversation. They thank him for, uh, for their drinks, which, uh, interestingly enough, all three drinks are not filled up to the same level. The middle one is a lot shorter, which you'd think that, that someone... I, I know if I was in a a restaurant, and those with two other people, and and one of us got a a lot less. We we would probably say something to the waiter, at least at this point. And then he, he gives him a bottle of water with it, right? Cause, or that's what it seems. Yeah, because like. you might use it to dilute the or not. Mm-hmm. Okay, apparently. And then he walks over to the table where Sedgwick is sitting, and walks walks around to the to to the side. Uh, you know, he could have stood across from him. Or he could have stood on uh, on the closer side to him, which is the left hand side. He actually walks around to go to the right hand side. I, I wonder if that's just being done for our benefit to be able to 
to see oh sure yeah the shot more clearly between the two of them and he informs Cedric that uh, he has a phone call and I love the fact that Cedric just begins explaining uh, starts uh, arguing with him about it you know he's like for me well what do I need a phone call why would <laughs> who knows I'm here <laughs> I told the wife never to call me. me office. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a little baffled at this whole thing. And the waiter has to actually uh, grab his arm and basically pull him out of the way to to get up and go answer this phone. Now, you said you wanted to say something about the, the table that you noticed? Well, I could be very wrong, but it looks like they've changed the way the plates and everything are on the table a little. Meaning they, they spent... It looks like they've moved. They, they spent uh, too much time sitting around and he moved, he moved them? You know, yeah, just, something... Yeah, sometimes that happens and no one really notices. But I could be wrong. It could just be the angle. First of all, you are correct. What has been moved is the is the pot. The cake. Oh, the pot? I wasn't sure if it was the cake or the actually, pot. All three, actually, all three are moved. Yeah. They, so they somewhere were, along the, the way... Uh, they probably had something where Coburn fiddled with the props and changed, but they just didn't think anybody would notice, which I never noticed myself until maybe now. So well, that's that's right. part of the reasons why why we look at movies this way, yeah. uh, one minute at a time, where where you get to to look at all these details and you can find these continuity errors, even if it's not in the same minute, because you're you're pointing at something that we discussed yesterday, which is great. That's yeah. the whole point. I'm I'm glad that you've that you've gotten on board and you know know how know how this works, Howard. It's yeah. great. It's great. Not only are you a teacher, but you can also be a student. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. I, I I gotta tell you, I didn't even notice it. I didn't pay any attention to it, so you got me on that one. So well, I just I appreciate thought, that. I can't see the cake, and I went, why can't I see the cake? You know, it was very clear before, and now it's hidden. So. Yeah, that's what threw me on. Correct. And you can also see a person standing at the bottom of the bridge, like right next to the water. Do you see that? Yes. Which which I also didn't notice before. Yeah. It's just very strange that someone's standing there because they're 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 with. They, it seems that they're with their back to us. You know, if it was like a little kid standing there throwing rocks into the river or whatever it is, you know, make a little sense, make more sense. But it just someone just standing there. Absolutely no clue. It's a there. ghost. Somehow a ghost got on the set. <laughs> I see <Yes>. dead people. <laughs> exactly. At, at at this point, Cedric is you know stands up and is pulled towards the the counter by the waiter, and convinces him that he needs to answer the phone. He looks down at the phone and picks it up. And as he picks it up, it's just great because the the two waiters or the waiter and the and the server or whatever or the bartender. They, the two of them just, you know, uh, very comically yes. duck, duck down behind I love the this part. I just love this part. <laughs> they, they don't, you know, this is, it. it's something that you would see in a, you know, maybe in a Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live skit or something like that. You know, where they're just standing there and they, they just duck down. You know, like, I think one of them grabs the other's hand and then they, they, they duck down together. Yes. The, the, the waiter grabs the hand of, or, or taps the hand of the, the bartender, and then the two of them crouch down in order to avoid whatever's about that, whatever that could be. Um, could you remind me, what year is this supposed to be? This is supposed to be 1944. Uh, 
because I'm wondering the resistance is really out front here. Um, and do you know what time of year? Yes, this is supposed to be August. So D days occurred. D day has yeah, occurred. June yes. 6th. So, yeah, so the resistance yes. is becoming more. Uh, bold uh, because the, Ameri- exactly. the the British and Americans have landed on the French coast and are slowly making their way I can't remember when they liberate Paris but uh, right. I they're, they're not there yet I, I don't think they're there yet but yeah. no I mean the, the escape took place in March it, it actually happened on March 24th which ironically was Eve McQueen's 14th birthday ah. so I, I always like that little tidbit that you know the real escape, and one of the problems they had with the real escape was the fact that there was snow on the ground in March. Yeah, and it's it's a little difficult to to hide your footprints when you're trying to escape in the snow. Right, which was a contributing factor to many of the POWs getting picked up along the way. They, I guess, they decided to to change it to to the summer just to make it that they could have nicer shots. I guess, you know, and more consistent shots. and more consistent weather. They don't have to worry about it suddenly snowing or anything. If anything, they'd have to worry about it raining, but other than that, they have nice, consistent shots. Right. At this point, we basically get Sedgwick, you know, talking on the phone, looking down very strangely at the fact that, that these these two waiters just crouched down behind the behind the counter, and then we get another shot of the bridge, where we see a car coming across the bridge. Now, I only notice this right now because you've, You've brought it up. But if you look at the table, once again, the cup and pot have changed places. Yeah. They've moved again. <laughs> and and we, we know that, that that Cedric wasn't there. <laughs> I guess I guess one of the German officers got up and moved it a little bit. He wanted to he wanted to check the check the paper. So he uh went and changed it. That that's great. So we see a car coming across the bridge and then Cedric is still trying to figure out what's going on on this phone. He's looking around and then he just hangs up the phone, walks over to the counter and ducks down. It, it always makes me wonder what he's told on that phone. I don't think he's told anything. Because what what I love about it is he kind of figures it out. He, it finally dawns him that he was called to this phone for no reason and that, oh, I get it. I better do what these two guys are doing. And I yes. just, I, I love that moment. It's, oh, okay. But he spends too much too much time on a de- on a phone with a dead end. I, that that's the thing that that, that bothers no, me. No, he does milk it. I agree. He does milk. It. <laughs> yeah, like if someone's on the other end trying to convince him of something or saying something, or he should understand what someone's saying or whatever it is. You know, you'd also have different facial expressions or something. But he doesn't have any of that. All he has is is that, you know, he sees the waiters crouch down as he's holding on this phone. For, for yeah, it, too long. Uh, with, they with do milk it. I'm not, I'm not going to argue that. They do milk it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we see the, uh, the the car once again coming over the bridge. We see the, the, the three officers taking their drinks. Now, what you can notice here is, is that there's... You were correct. They must have diluted it because they each have much more in their glasses than they did earlier. Well, yeah. But if you look at the bottle of water doesn't look like it it has that much missing yeah who knows and then we have the the car come around it uh, comes and stops pretty much in the same place where the german staff car stopped earlier when it was letting them out and two out of three of the of the officers take a look at what's going on and they're they're trying to figure out one of them stands up and then we see a machine gun 
in the back of, you know, someone in the back seat with a machine gun and just opens up fire. And all three of these officers get hit. And I love the way that it, that it looks because these three stuntmen each did something completely different when they're getting shot. <laughs> you know, you have one of them that, uh, and they, they all fall in different directions. One falls to the right, one falls to behind, one falls to the left. You know, one of them falls face down, the guy on the right. The, the guy in the middle falls over backwards. You know, like he, he jumps backwards as he's falling. And the third guy is the best because he's he turns around as if he's trying to run and then gets hit from behind and ends up doing a, I don't know if it's a somersault, but he sprawls across the, the table that we were previously, oh no, it's not, it's the table next to uh, where Cedric was sitting. But they really... Yeah, they, they earned their money. Yeah, they, they, there's no question about the fact that they cause a lot of damage, these chairs and tables. They, they, they over-dramatize it a little bit, but it's still fun to watch. The way that... It's also interesting that the oldest one just falls. <laughs> the younger ones really do a lot. <laughs> so, exactly. Ali said, you can just fall. <laughs> just fall over. That's fine. Yeah. Again, the the guy in the middle, he falls so far yeah. on, on his back that his that his feet are up in the air at he one point before he does like a somersault. Yeah. I, I guess the director said to them, "All right, just do whatever you feel like doing. You know, just pretend you're getting shot and make it as dramatic as possible." No, actually, I I think this was very very carefully worked out. Uh, they're falling among tables and chairs. They're going to have to reshoot the scene again. Again, maybe. Uh, this was carefully rehearsed. This sort of thing that's very, very carefully rehearsed. Maybe rehearsed by the by the three actors, but right. or the three. Yeah. No, the second men, the second know. unit director would come over and say, "Let's figure out what we're going to do." Ah, okay. Then the the car begins to speed off, and we see the the shooter in the back seat uh, tucks the gun in, and then the car disappears. And at this point, we have the original waiter pick his head up and yes. take a look. He's, he's like still crouching over a little bit as he's uh, you know checking out to see if the coast is clear if everything is is if, yeah. if he's if he's done his job properly uh yeah this this is such a fun scene there's no question yeah about it. because again this this movie has very little on-screen deaths right Can, you you said that you watched this movie recently again or you just watched these no scenes? i just i watched about 20 minutes or oh, okay. 30 minutes of it right. this section. no because i was going to quiz you on how many people how many on-screen deaths we, we we get to see up until this point but... up until this point <laughs> gosh uh up until this point because we haven't reached the scenes in the city with richard attenborough Correct. right yeah no that, so there wouldn't be very many there'd be three well, the here scenes, scenes with richard attenborough there's there's no deaths there anyway oh that's right no there's one uh david mccallum no that happened already that was uh, that was in the train oh that that happened already. Right. No, we okay. have David McCallum, and you have the the German coon. He also right. he also he gets shot by David McCallum. Yeah, so McCallum. there'll probably be less than ten. Yeah, yeah, less than ten, seven or eight. Correct. We have we have Ives. Then we had Coon. Then we had Ashley Pitt. Then we had Blythe at the beginning of this week, and then these three. So we're, we basically are. Was it seven, eight? Yeah, I think you said it with that. Yeah, there you go, seven. Yeah, I mean it's and and it's effective. What what I think this movie is is can show. Uh, even for for screenwriters and and you know filmmakers these days, that you don't need to have so much uh, gratuitous violence in movies, and you can still be quite effective by downplaying it, but still, you know, uh, still having some in it. Well, that's sort of a different subject to 
talk about. Uh, that's going down a different philosophical and aesthetic road, talking about the place of not only violence, but sex in, in movies. And people saying, well, you didn't have all this sex and violence in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. You don't need it. And I'm going, well, you don't really need anything in a movie. Things are in a movie because of the choices of the filmmaker. And the 30s and 40s and 50s were do not have this sex and violence because... Of the, not because they didn't want to, because they weren't allowed to. Right. Right. Yeah. So no, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to advocate that that there should be less violence in movies or whatever. My point is, is that that you can still be effective by having less violence in certain situations. And to know, add to that, that, that's all I'm trying to yeah, say here. But to add to that, the screenwriter has very little say on how violent the violence is. Correct. Right? So okay, yeah. that's true. No, it depends on how it's how it's played out beforehand. Obviously, obviously, you know, you have the studio and you have the director, and you know, once the movie's being made, they're going to make changes along the way. Right. Uh, you know, I was I was recently watching a few of the Friday the Thirteenth movies, and and I was reading about it afterwards that you know there there were directors that didn't want to have so much sex and violence in it, and they were told that's what people want to see. That's what well, you're yeah, if, you, if you're going to make money yeah. off the movie. Uh, yes, and by today's standards, you look at the original Friday the 13th, and it's a little violent for its time. Uh, there's not a lot of sex for its time. Um, you get more in Halloween. Halloween has a lot more sex yes. and uh, uh, almost and, and a lot more violence in many ways. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, times change. Then we get the yeah, Donald Pleasant right. But times change, trends change. Uh, I do sometimes get tired of of a lot of violence in films. It gets a little boring to me. But uh, but then you get someone like Quentin Tarantino, who is just brilliant at filming violence. That you know. Michael Bay tends yes. to bore me. Quentin is just incredible. Right. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, as as I'm sure you know, this this movie is one of Tarantino's uh, movies. Well, he used to sit in Once Upon a Time in, which was, in Hollywood. Yeah, and that's yeah. why he that's why he uses it because he loves yeah, this there's movie a lot. so much. You know, unfortunately, I couldn't the get him to, to to come on the show and talk. Uh, so. No, he didn't respond to my emails. <laughs> oh, you even though I, I I don't live that far from him, I you know I, I work relatively close to where he lives. Uh, I did not know that. He he lives in Tel Aviv. Yes. He 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 married uh, Donna Pick and lives in Tel Aviv. I've I've heard of people that have seen him. You know, they've seen him in movie theaters before COVID. I, I don't know nowadays where whether he comes out of his, uh, you know, whether he walks around in, in public more here or not. I never really thought about it, but is he Jewish or did he convert to Judaism or is he just living there because his wife? I believe that, that he's just living there because his wife. Mm -hmm. uh, I, first of all, he's not okay. and I do not believe that he converted based on mm -hmm. what, what I know. I don't know. I'll uh, have to check into that. <laughs> it can be very painful to convert, so. Uh, that all depends on, on you know, whether his, his, you know, whether when he was a child. That's right. You know. Yeah. Uh, but we're not going to get into that. <laughs> yes. No need for us to be to get into gratuitous but, discussions. <laughs> yes. Uh, so gratuitous, gratuitous discussion. Exactly. Completely. <laughs> it's a very exciting film. It's it's uh, 
uh, it really gets you going. And uh, yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything else you wanted to discuss in general about the movie that uh, you know, not in this scene, in any scene that around the movie? Um, no, I don't. Uh, well, nothing comes to mind. Okay. That, so yeah. Okay. Well, anyone can go and listen to our conversation from uh, you know on 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 your podcast uh, last year. Right. Yes. You know, so if they want to uh, if they want to hear more, let's talk more about uh, things here. Uh, I, I actually should probably go revisit it also just to listen to to you know what. What what type of crap I spewed back then? Oh, that's what I always think. You know, <laughs> did, did I really... Wait, you think that about me? Uh-huh. Or you think that about myself. yourself? I said, you think that about me oh, or about yourself? No, myself. <laughs> I go, and did, you know. So I often don't go revisit them. I, I don't revisit them for those reasons. <laughs> say, Just okay. let, it, let, let sleeping that. dogs lie. <laughs> okay. Makes sense. Do you want to, for one final time, tell people how they can get in touch with you? Uh, well, again, uh, Howard Kastner, uh, C-A-S-N-E-R. So you can find me on Facebook and my Howard Kastner uh, script consultation page on Facebook. My um, uh, blog is called Rantings and Ravings of a Screenplay Reader. Uh, no, just actually, sorry. It's just called Rants and Ravings. Um, and you can find pop art on a lot of streaming channels, but especially Apple, Podomatic, and Anchor. And I guess if this is my last one, I'll do another push for the books I've published. I have two books of short stories on Amazon, The Serving Artist and Other Stories, and The Five Corporations and Montreal Religion. These are sci-fi, horror, fantasy short stories. And then the second edition of my screenwriting book, More Rantings and Ravings of a Screenwriter. All right. Excellent. And uh, you can get in contact with us by going to our Facebook group, The Cooler. Our email address is thegreatminute at gmail.com. Our website is thegreatescapeminute.com. And our Twitter account is greatescapemxm. Howard, I want to once again thank you for for joining us on this show. It's been a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It's the first time I've ever done this. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So anyone looking for uh, a screenwriter on your shows, you can... uh, Get in touch with uh, Howard. I'm sure he'll be be more than than interested in coming and and talking with with you about your movies, whether they're minute by minute or not. That's for sure. All right. Well, have a great weekend, everybody. And until Monday, tally-ho. Tally-ho.